Good afternoon, Storehouse. As you guys find your seats, we'll be in the book of First Thessalonians for the reading. First Thessalonians, excuse me, two seventeen through three five. But since we were turned away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it come to pass, just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about you, about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labors would be in vain. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. I hope y'all are doing well. My name is Marco, and I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Uh, one of the things I mention each week is that it's a joy to be up here to preach God's word to you, so thank you so much for the privilege. In the event that you just walked in or that you didn't catch Jay, we're going to find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, traveling through chapter 3, verse 5. So while you open or load your Bible, here are two quick updates for you. Number one is just an encouragement to visit our website, storehousemckellen.com, primarily so that you would find our resources. On our resources page, we have everything from a discipleship guide on First Thessalonians to devotionals that have been written by writers in our church as we approach the coming of Holy Week. All of those resources are free and available to you. Please uh, do that whenever you get a chance. And one of the best ways to experience those resources uh, is in community, which leads to the second point. Uh, we have community groups. For us, community groups are the lifeblood of our church. That is where uh, we primarily find ourselves in discipleship and in care. And so if you're not in a community group, I just want to encourage you to check them out and get in one. You could also find that on the website or, more importantly, in the Connect Desk, which is found in the lobby. Those are all my quick updates for you. I'm sure you guys are ready to go. So let's dig into our time. I'm not sure if you were aware, I'm not sure how much TV you watch, but there used to be, or there probably is, this reality TV show called Forged in Fire. And Forged in Fire is where world-class blacksmiths and bladesmiths recreate historical weapons. And in order to recreate these weapons, they use fire in order to shape the blade to their desired look. And uh, fire is used as the stress in order to forge the weapon. The same can be said of the human experience. Fire or adversity or pressure helps to shape us. It helps sanctify us. It also reveals who we are. In the context of friendship or relationships, it's always good to have a friend go with you through the fire. Ideally, it's to create a stronger bond and a stronger connection. This leads to our text today where the Apostle Paul has been writing to the Thessalonians and what we're going to see are friendships forged through fire. 
But these relationships, these friendships, have been forged not to recreate something cool or not to show off their competitive skills. These relationships have been forged by faith in order to fight darkness. And that's our main idea, right? There's a community of believers in Thessalonica just like there's a, we are a community of believers. We are a community of believers that have been forged by faith in Jesus to fight darkness. So let me pray, and we'll dig into the text this morning, or this afternoon. God, we begin by thanking you. We begin by, with, with thanksgiving for, for calling us to yourself, for calling us sons and daughters. We begin by thanking you for Jesus, who through his work has reconciled us to you. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who is working in us right now. God, overall, we thank you for your grace. This afternoon, give us wisdom. Give us ears to listen, hearts to respond, and hands to serve. May your word this afternoon be sweeter than the taste of honey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've seen in the last few weeks, Paul has been unpacking everything from discipleship that we looked at about two weeks ago to gratitude that we checked out last week, and now he walks us to being forged together through relationship. And in the section of chapter 2, verse 17 through verse 20, what we're going to see, and really throughout this entire portion, is Paul continually revealing his heart for the Thessalonians. We see him constantly pour out his care and his love and the lengths that he's willing to go to demonstrate how much he loves them, but more importantly, to ensure that they are still forged together through relationship, to ensure that they are still a healthy community of believers. And so in verse 17, we open up with Paul the parent. So let's Let's go to verse 17 briefly, and Paul writes, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly, with great desire, to see you face to face. There are three things that I want us to examine when it comes to that short verse, and similar to last week, we're going to break down a few words. The first one is the word we. This is a reminder that this grief that is being experienced isn't solely by Paul. It's him and his team that includes Silas and Timothy. This little team of missionaries has been so invested in the Thessalonians that having to depart from them has caused great devastation and concern. Additionally, Paul uses this phrase, torn away. The word for this is orphan. Earlier in the chapter, we saw how Paul saw himself with the Thessalonians. He says that he was like a mother who nurtured them into health, that he was like a father who served as a good and godly example. Here, he says that as a result of that kind of relationship, once he had to flee Thessalonica, it was like a parent being torn away from their children, and their children are now on their own and left to themselves. This, as we'll see, has caused Paul so much grief. It's very strong language. He uses the phrase that he wanted to see them with a great desire. 
Since they were torn away, Paul has been longing and trying to find ways to come back and see the Thessalonians, to ensure that they were still healthy, that they were still together in relationship, that they were forged. The word for desire in that little verse, the word for desire is normally used negatively in the rest of the New Testament. The word for desire in its negative connotation usually means this strong internal desire to sin, to dive into the indulgence of our sin. Here, Paul uses this word in a positive way, saying that he had such a yearning, such a desire to go and see the Thessalonians. He wanted to make sure that they were okay. He wants to elaborate how badly he wanted to see them and return to them. Paul experiences great pain in being separated from the Thessalonians. And though he wasn't with them in person, he's been so concerned about their well-being. That's a really, really good friend. Forged through relationships with the Thessalonians and now concerned that those relationships and friendships are still intact are one of Paul's chief concerns. And in in the next verse or in this next little section, we see Paul's motivation. It's not that he just wants to see and make sure that they're good to go or that they're still intact or that they're still forged in relationship. We get insight into his motivation for this. So continuing, verse 18 because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, so he says, man, I've been making these attempts to come and see you, but Satan hindered us. Verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And so we were going to focus primarily on that little phrase, the crown of boasting. And so that's what Paul calls the Thessalonians. He calls them a crown of, of, of boasting, not because he's trying to say how awesome of a friend he's been to them, not because he has this eloquence in his language. We learned earlier in the letter that that was something that didn't exist. Paul and his team ministered to them plainly, not with eloquency. In addition to that, the reason he calls them a crown of boasting is because of God's work for them through Jesus. This is a reference to what we saw last week where Paul and his team were praising and thanking God for his work in the Thessalonians. And so Paul is doing the exact same thing here, except he takes it a step further by adding that if the Lord Jesus would have showed up and returned right then and there, what Paul would want to do is run to the Lord Jesus so that he would boast to Jesus about Jesus' work in the Thessalonians. Paul wouldn't run to Jesus so that he would say, look at what I did. Remember when you sent me to Macedonia and Thessalonica? Check out how cool we were. He wants to run to the Lord Jesus so that he would boast to the Lord Jesus about his work in the Thessalonians. He would want to boast about the grace or the fruit of God's grace to the Thessalonians. That's Paul's motivation He's not just after their well-being to make sure that this church plant is healthy just to be healthy. He's after their well-being because he he wants to make sure that Jesus is the center point because of Jesus' work in them. 
Paul is not unaware of his effort. He's not unaware of his labor, but he does realize that the fruit belongs to Jesus. They may be Paul's friends, but they are Jesus's prized possession. And Paul is aware of this. Paul is aware that if Jesus returned right then and there, he knew exactly what he would want Jesus to see, and that is the fruit of his grace. How are our friendships doing? Family, how are we doing relationally? See, unlike Paul to the Thessalonians, we have not been torn away from one another. But my concern is that we've been floating away or around one another, often in islands of isolation. Over the last several weeks, this has been the kind of conversations I've had with many individuals, where many are not only lonely but drifting. In this section, 17 through 20, Paul is grieved because he cannot be with the Thessalonians, he says, face to face that it pains him to not be able to see his friends and to see how they're doing. He writes that Satan has hindered him from returning. We don't know exactly what he's talking about, but we can not overdo it by hyper-spiritualizing it. We know that Satan hates it when believers come together, and so whatever, uh, uh, whatever things Paul has been doing to try to get to them, he keeps on being hindered. And so the question for us is, how are we being hindered? We got text message, we got email, we got phone calls, we got Zoom, we got FaceTime, we got social media, we got cars, we got planes, we got buses, we got bikes. <laughs> How is it, or what is hindering us this season? If it's not means of communication and transportation, then we can shelf that for a little bit. What is it that is hindering us? Is it, is it pride? Paul says that the Thessalonians are his glory and his joy. What's your glory and what's your joy? Is it accomplishments? Is it your schedule? Is it added capacity? You just want to stuff everything on your plate to show that you can rock it? Paul's strongest desire was his well-being. Or excuse me, was the Thessalonians' well-being. What's our strongest desire? Is it our own kingdoms? If the Lord Jesus returned today, right now, what would he see? Would he see that we've been forged together through relationship? See, my concern is that we are not as forged together by relationships as much as we are forged together by self-sufficiency that everyone's in one community, but we're on our own island. Godly friendships, godly relationships are forged together both in the amazing and in the adverse. According to Barner Research, in an article published in 2021, 2021, they went on to say that one in five Christians feels lonely every single day. And I've met with about 20 of them in our church. It pains me to see our community, our church, floating instead of forged. 
See, Jesus had friends, and sometimes they did dumb things and said even dumber things. Yet Jesus said that the measure of friendship was the willingness to lay his life down for his friends. Paul is doing everything he can to get to Thessalonians. Everything he can to make sure that his friends are healthy. How are we doing as we cultivate relationship? We are not innocent. A community of believers are forged together, what we see here, through relationships. We'll come back to that. Next, as we walk into chapter 3, we see that Paul reveals that friendships are forged together through relationship in order to be strengthened. In order to be strengthened. Here, Paul continues to share his heart, wanting to make sure that they were still healthy so that they would be once more strengthened. Here we go, verse 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. So the reason Paul sends Timothy is because he wants to check on their health. And Paul is saying that after some time, after a lack of opportunity, and after much grief and much consideration, he had to do something to make sure that the Thessalonians were okay. And so he was so concerned about them because of the way in which they had to flee Thessalonica that he was unaware of their spiritual condition, unaware of their spiritual health. He was wondering, man, were they still together? Were they okay? Were they still walking with the Lord, I don't know what's going on. I want to make sure that they're healthy. We got to go send Timothy. Then Timothy is their young pastoral intern. And this sending Timothy pained Paul because Timothy was like a spiritual son to Paul. In addition to that, Paul knew that he was sending him back to the same city, not only that they planted this church in, but the same city that persecuted them just months before. Paul knew that he was sending Timothy into a very dangerous and hostile mission, unaware that he would even hear back from Timothy. And so Paul sends Timothy to check on their health so that they would be strengthened. And that's what he says Timothy's job is, that Timothy's job was to both establish and exhort the Thessalonians in their faith. To establish the idea of this word means to build on top of the foundation. So last week we saw that the Thessalonians heard the word of God, then they accepted the word of God, that is that they were transformed by the word of God. And so Paul sends Timothy to build them up, to teach them the Christian basics, to teach them about the character of God, to teach them what a healthy structure looks like in a church. He also sends them to exhort them. That is, I'm not just going to tell you about what scripture says, I'm also going to encourage and correct you, that he was going to disciple them. And I wonder how formative this job for Timothy was. In the fall, we walked through 1 Timothy. And here's one of the things that Paul tells Timothy in that letter. He says, I hope to come to you soon. This is Paul writing to Timothy. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. What is the church of the living God? A pillar and buttress of the truth. That phrase, pillar and buttress, is the same for establish. I wonder how formative the experience with the Thessalonians was for Timothy to go back to another place called Ephesus to do the exact same thing. (laughs) 
And so he sends them to go back to the Thessalonians to establish them, to exhort them, teach them what a healthy, how a healthy church lives. All right, here it is. Who are you checking on, Soros? Who are you checking in on? See, if loving our neighbor is loving who's next to you, then if each one of us decides to check on the person who's next to us, then the whole church would be actually ministered to. Paul sends Timothy to check in on the church. He sends him on a dangerous mission. But here's the point of that. It shows the length that Paul is willing to go to ensure that these young Christians were healthy. And if he finds them healthy, to strengthen them. What's our limit? As I mentioned earlier, one of the hindrances that I'm seeing right now hasn't been so much like a satanic one as much as it's been our self-sufficiency. And I've seen this come out in a number of ways. And when I say all of these things, I'm telling you right now, I'm preaching to the choir. First way I've seen it is individuals that are saying, man, I've done everything right. I'm doing all the things I need to be doing. I'm saying all of the things I need to be saying. I'm saving the way I'm supposed to be saving. I have the job that I was supposed to have. Everything according to my plan I've been doing, and yet God owes me, and so now I'm angry at the church. I've seen it where individuals have failed one another, right? Because none of us are innocent in this, where individuals have failed one another, and then we stack up these experiences on top of one another, and then because those experiences have hurt us, or because we have hurt others in those same type of experiences, whether we're not following up, whether we're not checking in, whether we're not having hard conversations, all of a sudden we begin to grow cynical and bitter, Hey, I'll check up on you. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if that actually happens. Or, I've seen it to where in our self-sufficiency, we bottle everything up, we internalize everything, we keep a record of wrongs, including our own, and we're building up on that. And as it builds up, what ends up happening is that we grow oddly more self-righteous And rather than reaching out, the reason we don't reach out is because we don't like that someone's going to check in on us as a reactive way instead of them showing the initiative. So I've heard it this way to where it's like, I don't want to tell someone that this is going on. Well, what if they check in on you? Yeah, but they're only checking in on me because I told them. That's the point. That is the point. Reactivity sometimes is not a bad thing. Because in that moment, you are shaping them just as much as they are going to pursue you now. And so when it comes to being established, yes, that's part of the Sunday gathering where we are formed by grace, we're formed by the word of God. But when it comes to exhorting, that happens in the context of discipleship and community where we're going to lean into one another. And sometimes it's going to be a challenging conversation. Sometimes it's going to be a conversation filled with tears. Sometimes that's a conversation with tons of laughter. And that's okay. That's good. And so what I end up seeing is part of the reason we don't want to reach out or we pull back isn't just because of fear sometimes, but sometimes it's capacity. And capacity, to be fair, is a real thing. 
right? Sometimes, due to our capacity, we are providentially hindered from getting together, being able to see one another. I'm not knocking that. Other times, we use capacity as an excuse to hide behind our schedules. You see, it's really easy to look at something like 1 Thessalonians and be like, yeah, well, Paul, that's all Paul was doing. You gotta remember, like, he had a lot on his plate. He's writing to the Thessalonians about a month after, or not too long after he's already planted in that church, but he's writing to them from Corinth meaning he was also planting in that crazy city. You know, the one where they're getting drunk at the communion table, where the dude is having sex with his stepmom, where they're just going all wild at Corinth. Paul had a lot on his plate also. And he was also providentially hindered, but we see him doing whatever it is he can to check in on the Thessalonians. And in this case, it meant sending Timothy. Church, is, is the pride of our self-sufficiency going to be the best answer that we got? Is that the best answer we can have together? Not just you as the individual, together. That if Jesus were to return right now, that's what we got. To be fair, some of you are doing a wonderful job. Keep going, hear me, keep going. I know many of you are discipling one another, you're challenging one another, some of you are laughing together, you're checking in on one another, you're asking hard questions, you're praying together, keep going, you're doing amazing, keep going. And many aren't doing so well, and self-sufficiency, what we've seen, reveals itself in at least two ways. It's the bottling up of things, and then when those things blow up, there's humility, and now there's resistance to that humility. Please do not float away from one another. Please do not drift further. Do not stray. We must check in on our health so that we may grow strong, so that we would strengthen one another, so that we would stand firm together. A community of believers is forged through relationships in order to strengthen one another. Which brings us to the last part of verse, or excuse me, chapter three where we see a community of believers forged to stand firm. Paul walks us through two encouragements here, and I'll read these last two verses. This is four and five. For when we were destined, excuse me, for you yourselves, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, just as you know. For this reason, when I can bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our Lord and our labor would be in vain. Paul gives us two encouragements here. The first one is to be watchful. To be watchful. To be watchful is to be aware of what to expect. One of those things that we ought to expect, just like the Thessalonians, was affliction, suffering, hardship, adversity, challenge, pressure. Paul reminds him, reminds them that 
This isn't something he's only taught them, but don't be surprised by it. Peter says the same thing to his church. Do not be surprised when trials come your way as if you're wondering, God, what are you doing? No, this is actually something that's going to happen. And we best, or we see this in the experience of Jesus Christ, that because he suffered, we will suffer. Therefore, be alert, be watchful. Over and over again, he has talked about Satan hindering him or the tempter has tempted them. Satan uses this. Satan wants this. In affliction, Satan wants to discourage believers. In affliction, Satan wants to destroy us. Satan wants to distance us. Once more, Peter goes on to tell the churches he's writing to that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking seeking someone to devour. And I love how Peter just like gives you the what to do and he says, resist him. Resist him. If we're to be forged together through relationship in order to be strengthened so that we would stand firm, that is one of the ways in which we're going to resist Satan. That is how we fight darkness. When we don't, Satan wins. Secondly, Paul tells them to stand firm in their faith. We'll look more at this last, next week, excuse me. But he's telling them when we're watchful in affliction, it reveals our character. That was his concern. He says, for fear of your faith. He was worried what happened to them. Not just physically, but he was worried about their spiritual condition. Because in affliction, our character is revealed. In the midst of affliction, in the middle of pressure, who we are is revealed. Character and faith go hand in hand, and nothing better than some pressure reveals character. And this is why Paul says that he was fearful. In other words, he was concerned. He was concerned about their faith. He's thinking, did they walk away? Are they like resisting Satan? Are they fleeing sin? Like you just see this pastoral heart that he has for the Thessalonians because he wants to make sure that they're okay. He wants to make sure that their faith is strong, that they've been strengthened to stand firm. Paul was worried because he wasn't sure if they were isolated in fear or feeding their faith. When a church, when a community of believers feeds their faith, they grow strong so that they stand firm to fight darkness to push darkness back. That's what the Thessalonians did. They stood firm through being forged by relationships in order to be strengthened so that they would fight darkness. How are you feeding your faith, church? How are you feeding your faith? In my office, I have these, uh, I have these fake plants. I love fake plants because you don't gotta do anything with them. Right? And, and so I have it in the corner of, of my office. I have this one plant. And what I love so much about it is that if I go out of town for a week, if I were to go out of town for a year and I come back, it looks exactly the same. Right? That's the beauty of a fake plant. Right? But then, on the other hand, there are these things called real plants. And my friend, Destiny, she loves, loves, loves plants. And when we have visited her, uh, her and her husband, Rob, we go to the house, and the whole house is just covered in plants, and the outside is too. And what I notice is that Destiny doesn't really do anything special. 
It's just really intentional work. So she like gives them water, gives them food, gives them sunlight. But then at the same time, she like she's a scientist, and so she's like, well, if we turn them to this direction, and she exposes them to all these weird elements. Whatever, man. She does all of these things, and like the plants grow, like they don't die. That's really uh, insightful, and that's very like inspirational, right? But here, here's why I give you this story of why I love fake plants, right? Too many Christians treat their faith like a fake plant. They put their faith in the back, they leave it there, and they leave it there, and they don't touch it. And then when we experience affliction and hardship, we wonder why we're weak and wavering. As opposed to, like real plants, feeding our faith with the food of God's word with living water that is Jesus Christ, right? With the sunlight that is community, right? With all these different elements and afflictions so that we would be strengthened. Too many of us like the fake plants, and then when hardship comes, we wonder why our faith is weak and wavering. We feed our faith not because we don't know the outcome of this spiritual war, but because we do know the outcome of this spiritual war. Paul tells the Romans, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. How are you feeding your faith? Because let me tell you, when we feed our faith, we fight and push darkness back. In the context of the Sunday gathering, having your Bibles open, examining your hearts and the Word, like Satan hates that. He hates that you're here with your Bibles open, sitting under the preached Word. He hates that our children are in that building singing the gospel, being prayed over by other saints who aren't sitting here with you, ministering to them. They're engaged in as much spiritual warfare as we are right now. I met with the kids' volunteers a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things I encourage them with is, man, when you open your Bibles and sing with our kids, when you pray over our infants, you're engaged in spiritual warfare. It's, you're not just showing up for childcare because there's no such thing. They're in spiritual warfare. When you pray, when you pray with one another, when you pray over your family, when you pray over your friends, you're engaged in spiritual warfare. Satan hates that. When you're in community with one another, Laughing or pressing into one another with hard conversations, encouraging one another or rebuking one another. Satan hates that. That's spiritual warfare, and we're sharpening one another. We're strengthening one another in order to push darkness back. When you stumble over words as you evangelize to that person that you've just been wanting that opportunity with, and you're so nervous, right? You're pushing darkness back with the good news of the gospel. We must feed our faith. Otherwise, we're going to get choked. Don't get choked. That's a pretty easy like, thing, right? If you're like, oh, what do I do? Don't get choked. So uh, from what I understand, I don't do this. Uh, Eric can help me, right? Giving your back in jiu-jitsu is a bad thing. If you give your back in jiu-jitsu, right? I don't know if anybody does it. There's like 80 of y'all that do jiu-jitsu, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I see all the posts. Nowhere I'd rather be. Anyway. When it comes to jujitsu, right, uh, if you give your back, that's a position of vulnerability, right? 
because if you give your back on the mat, your opponent is going to jump on your back and then choke you out. And then it's done and you pass out, right? The idea here is same thing. Don't give your back to your faith. Feed it. Otherwise, we're going to be like Jesus in the, in the parable of the, of the different kinds of soils. That seed fell on each, on different soil. And there was this one seed that fell on this one soil. And it sprouted fruit. And all of a sudden, it looks like there's health. And it looks like there's excitement. And it looks like things are happening. And then hardship and affliction come. But the problem is that that piece of flour is off to itself. And what ends up happening? It gives us back and it gets choked out. There's another one to where it's like, man, it's just trying to grow and thorns and thistles are just choking it out. We must feed our faith so that we don't choke it. A community of believers is forged together to fight darkness. None of this is possible. Forged relationships being strengthened, uh, to stand firm. None of this is possible apart from being forged by faith alone in Christ alone. The only way that we're going to walk triumphantly together is through faith in the Lord Jesus who has pardoned us of our sins, taken our heart of stone, and has given us a heart of flesh. And then he takes it a step further by giving us his spirit within us so that our hope and labor would not be in vain, rather that it would stand on the grace of his work. This will be a long spiritual war. But one day, as the redeemed, we will trade our guarded armor for a garland crown. We will be like those in Revelation where one of the elders addresses John and he says, who are these? Who are these that are clothed in white robes? Where have they come from? I said to them, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. A community of believers is forged together through faith alone in Christ alone. We will either be forged together through the fire or we will float away from one another because of the fire. Let us be a community of believers that has fixed their eyes on the Lord Jesus. And as a result, that he shapes how we love, serve, and minister to one another. Let us be a community of believers who desire and grow meaningful friendships that have been forged by faith in Jesus through the amazing and the adverse. Let us be a community of believers who do whatever it takes to check on the health of the body so that we would be nourished to strength in order to stand firm together. Let us be forged together by faith to fight darkness. And so Christian, I don't want to knock, and please don't hear that. I hope you don't, but please don't hear that maybe you've had some really bad experiences. Maybe you've had some really challenging ones. Maybe some friends really dropped the ball. I'm really sorry, because that stinks. 
Man, I want to encourage you to bring that grief to the Lord. Because you have access to him through Jesus, so bring that grief to the Lord. And I also want us to examine our hearts because I am fairly confident that we are not innocent in that either. So let us confess our sin to the Lord. Let us confess our sin to one another so that we would be forged through relationship to be strengthened in order to stand firm all because of faith through Christ. And if you're not a Christian, you're like, man, and I've said this for the last couple of weeks, and you're like, man, when it comes to the church, it is just a building or a people of hypocrites. And it's like, thanks for noticing, we call ourselves recovering hypocrites. <laughs> the church is not perfect. She does not exist on this side of eternity. But we do serve a perfect Savior. And that's who I want you to know about. I want you to know that God entered into time and space as the man, Jesus Christ, who lived a life that you cannot live and die a death that you deserve for sinners like us, who was buried and then three days later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was raised from the dead, leaving sin and death in the grave and promises and gifts eternal life as a gift through him. God has made a way for you to know him through faith and repentance in Jesus. Church, we are a community of believers forged by faith to fight darkness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, oh gosh, we thank you for everything. God, we thank you for giving us a new heart. We thank you for renewing us in our steadfastness. God, we thank you for, we thank you for Jesus and your Holy Spirit. God, you are a good and gracious God. God, may the gospel not be something that we forget about so easily. Lord, you sent your son to live and dwell among us, to have a sinless life and to die a death in our place for, for our sin. We have been redeemed. We are redeemed. You have brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and you have transferred us into the kingdom of of light. This is the gospel. This gospel is all that Jesus has accomplished for us. God, would you give us the humility and the joy to receive it this afternoon? Lord, hear our prayer as we confess our sin, as we confess our heart, our bitterness, our frustration, our cynicism. Lord, as we just bring to the table everything from loneliness to frustration. And in the midst of all of those things that, Lord, we're going to be honest, that we've often trusted in someone else or our own selves or in something else, and we have believed them or we have believed those messages over what you have done for us. And the truth is that even in our cynicism or in our bitterness, 
And we could not deliver what we were trying to preach to ourselves. God, would you forgive us? And would you tend to our hearts? God, we confess that we regularly sin against one another. Would you give us a heart like the one you gave Paul for one another where we think less of ourselves and think more about our neighbor. Think more about our brothers and sisters. As a result, that we would get more of Jesus as we are caring for one another.